G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone. Welcome back. Welcome to season AFL 2019. Good to have your company. We're glad to be back. Uh, I'm Rowan Connolly and uh, here's my erstwhile. I don't know why I want to say erstwhile, but it's a good sounding word. Uh, Mark Fine, how are you, Finey? I'm very well. Great to be back. As long as you don't call me ersatz. No, I won't call you a set. Um, what have you been up to the last six months? Oh, gee, a fair bit. Um, obviously, looking forward to a football season takes up a bit of my time, but sports following-wise, kept a close eye on the cricket. Going to be a big year of cricket, so I'm in touch with my cricketing self and looking forward to what should be a, re- a revealing football season because there are new rules in place. I know we're going to talk about it. Uh, we saw it during the JLT, but that's not the real thing. So as from Richmond Carlton Thursday night, I just am excited about the prospect of football, and I think it will happen, being a little bit like the way we used to love it. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, no, the signs have been encouraging. Um, I've had an interesting six months. I feel like I've done nothing but watch televised sport, to be perfectly honest. I had a bit of a holiday after the trade period, although having said that, I wrote a fixture release analysis from a hotel room in Bali, uh, clad in a sarong. Um, That that, uh, that image is sarong. No, it's, it's not a great one. Um, I did a uh, did a. Uh, well, hang on, just on that. Yeah, if uh, you've seen the Simpsons episode where he gets so large, he has to wear a a momo. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm approaching. That's not why you wore the sarong, was uh, it? No, but I'm approaching that status. Um, I did a uh, big bash show on Macquarie Sports Radio in a self indulgent note. Finally, I can tell you, uh, I'm I'm doing the footy with Three AW this year. No, so that's great. Looking great. looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, like you say, I, I think this could be a a return to traditional values. Footy wise. So we're going to get stuck right into it now. Let's get into our first segment. On Footyology Newsfeed. All right, a uh, lot going on in the footy world as per usual. Probably a bit more given we're coming up to round one. But um, what do you reckon the story of the week's been, Finey? I wonder if it's um, there's a lot of brouhaha's that come up uh, as a result of social media. But this one seems to have been particularly um, significant, and I speak of the trolling of Taylor Harris after the publication of what I think has already become an iconic shot of her in full kicking stride from uh, that brilliant football photographer, Michael Wilson. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because trolling exists and has existed ever since social media became part of our lives, so we're not talking about a new phenomenon. But this is a story that's actually been taken up nationwide, interestingly enough, even in non-footballing states. It strikes to the heart of not only trolling, not only the uh, 
good and bad that comes from social media, but the reaction of the original publishers of the photo was interesting. And we'll talk about that in a moment, taking it down, putting it back up, and just how it still is a minefield. And it also marries with the growing growing world of of female sport. Mm. And I think as AFLW and, and... We've got NRLW, etc. There's now a whole lot of female sport out there. And I think we still have some not so latent prejudices against girls playing traditional male sports. So that also reared its ugly head during the discussion. It's been interesting. I've been doing an AFLW podcast for 3AW, so I've watched uh, pretty much every game. And for what it's worth, I think the standard this season, there's no doubt the standard has improved dramatically. Um, there's still some low scores, but uh, there's been some really high-scoring games too. But the the kicking and the... Um, I think just generally the, the whole standard across the board has really picked up. So I've really enjoyed it. Um, now, you mentioned the, yeah, probably sort of depends what camp you're in. But I, I think I get the impression women were most offended. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they weren't offended. Yes, they're offended by the trolling, but they've become so used to that. It's sort of like, oh, here we go again. I think they were most offended by... Uh, Channel 7's reaction in removing the tweet rather than getting rid of the trolling. Now, um, now to Channel 7's credit, they said, yep, that was wrong, and they um, republished the photo, which was fantastic. Twitter, I've got to say, it was it, it was a quite amazing sort of show of strength on Twitter. So uh, it blew up on Tuesday night. Um, I'd already seen that photo, and then I, I, I was doing a bit of work jumped on Twitter, as I'm prone to do every 10 seconds, and uh, saw what had happened. And someone said, you know, republish the photo and show your support. So I tweeted that similarly. And my Twitter feed, if I had a look right now, it's still going. Something like 3,000 people have retweeted my tweet, and it's been parliamentarians and people overseas and professional sportsmen and a lot of male AFL players, which is fantastic. Um what was the trolling? Well, I saw a few of the comments. It seemed to be twofold. It seemed to be the traditional, oh, the women are crap, you know, I wouldn't cross my backyard to watch it, blah, blah, blah. But there were the really ugly stuff, you know, there was this sort of sexual innuendo because the the um, pose of Taylor Harris kicking, her, you know, her, her legs were... Um, I can't find the right word, but you know where I'm coming from. With but it was cla- it was classic kicking pose. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, not dissimilar to maybe a famous photo of Ted Whitten. Yeah, the flying kick of Ted Whitten. His arms were akimbo, as it were. Yeah, just a, a what it was was a fantastic still shot of an excellent kicking action. But yeah, look, there was an immature. Um, sophomoric trolling of, you know, obviously, we don't need to go into it. Uh, one of the trolls that was highly offensive mentioned um, Hannah Mouncey. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that one, yeah. yeah. Now, these are, as I say, childish, immature, offensive, but except for the fact that we have to understand that 
you can do this you can do damage online in an anonymous way with little or no comeback it just goes to show that one offensive uh, comment on social media is louder than a thousand positive ones yeah well in in what has been a pretty um look i love twitter but there was a a a few days back, so the, uh, the Christchurch shooting happened last Friday. By about Sunday, Monday, uh, I was I tweeted a few things about it because I, I think there's a real, yeah, you know, I won't go into it. I think there's a real reckoning in this country now about the impact that um, the media has in well, right wing shock jockery and the Sky News and the Andrew Bolts of this world. I I think they've had a really, really negative impact on on political discourse in this country and i think people are finally going enough enough anyway that's but it was some of the trolling i got over that was some of the ugliest i've ever seen and it really disheartened me and then this came on top of it what this says to me though i guess i was thinking i can understand taylor harris's exasperation and that of all female sportsmen not just footballers because nothing they do can ever be, or can, but nothing they do is ever sort of treated on the same footing as what male sportsmen do. And what I mean is that every little thing they do is by some peanut sexualised. So you mentioned the iconic Teddy Whitten pose. Do you think anyone in the 50 years since that shot was taken has ever made any comment about Ted's fruit and veg hanging out or something like that? But yeah, Of like, course not, but that, that strikes... But this is the thing about female sportsmen. They battle with that in the background all the time. It's what females battle with. Yeah, I'm sure, generally, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure in, in the workplace, just in life. Yeah. And that is that the sexualization of um, a lot of their situations yeah. goes to... Ho- and I think, look, we are having a re-education of, of people, children from a young age, my children going through school... Uh, so f- much no. When I say so much more, they are conscious. When we were blithe to the realities of not just sexual discrimination, but also uh, gender discrimination, but also sexual discrimination, racial discrimination, etc., etc. They are uh, what I'll give you an example. If I do a, a funny accent at home for whatever reason. Mm. I'm immediately howled down. You meant a foreign accent. Yeah, foreign yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah. I'm immediately howled down yeah. for being racist. Now, yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that, <clears throat> but it's coming loud and immediately from primary school-aged children. Yeah. So, change is upon us. Yeah. And I get a sense that uh, I think you, we might be shocked at the age of some of these trolls in terms of... the older rather than younger. No, no, I agree. Should, well, have known, should have known a lot better. But actually, when you think about it, maybe don't know a lot better because that that form of awareness wasn't taught to 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds or anybody older. Oh, I've got incredible optimism about the, the, the younger generations yes, coming through. And well, well, what are two, diverging a little bit here, but what are two of the, um, the most pivotal news events of the last week? One, the climate change protest by students all across the country, yep. right? And secondly, and <laughs> oh God, I've gotten into some hot water over this one, uh, not condoning the egging of Fraser Anning, mm-hmm. but a kid 
taking it upon himself to indulge in direct political action. So I, I agree with you. And you know what? Right now we're sitting here discussing this. Someone listening to this will be going, oh, here we go, Roko and Finey being PC. They're just trying to get a root or something like that. That is exactly the discussion that has to change. This thing that everything that is basically just decent is some sort of political correctness gone mad. We've got to break that loop. Yeah, it's... Think about if if you are in a position to do this, and everybody is in this position, think about the females closest to you in your life and get their take on it. Now, I happen to be from... uh, uh, Look, I, I was in a family where I had two sisters, no brothers, and a strong a strong father figure, but a very strong mother figure. Mother still very much a part of my life into her mid to late 80s. But I've also got a very vocal 22-year-old daughter, a very vocal 12-year-old daughter, and a wife that doesn't take a back seat. Get, get the perspective, not if you're a male, get the perspective and walk in somebody else's shoes, even if they've got stilettos on them. No, no, it's a good point. And you can't separate that. And and I was thinking as you said that, you know, some of the worst, most misogynistic sort of trolling I see on social media inevitably comes from people who are posting pictures of their their daughters or their wives or their partners. And it's like they make this, they can't sort of comprehend that uh, you're talking about the same people. So, no, really good point. And, look, the... The conversation is changing. I think women generally and female sportsmen in particular are, to use a cliche, drawing a line in the sand. And and I think good on you, Taylor Harris, for coming out and saying, no, no, bugger this. We're not putting up with that. I'll say this, that my my 22-year-old daughter, and I should add that both of my daughters are very, very keen footballers. Yeah. And, and, you know, my eldest plays for collegians. Yeah. And my youngest has just... um, undertaken playing school football and is earnest about it and loves it. And I can say this, that the, the older daughter, who is very much uh, social, both of them are, but social media savvy, she was not, beyond even being offended by the comments, she just, you know, viewed those comments as made by losers, social yeah. misfits. It's yeah. not even that these people are a problem anymore. It's mm. like... They that that class of person is now viewed as a, as a pariah. Yeah, they're guys living in their parents' basement playing World of Warcraft with twisties crumbs falling down their stained tracky decks. Yeah, pretty much. Um, or I want to talk quickly um, in a in a new sense, just about the start of a season. I I feel like um, there is more uncertainty surrounding the start of this season than ever before, and that's across players, coaches, and fans. And teams. Because you barrack for Essendon, and that, to me, is the biggest question mark club in the competition. Well, there's uncertainty for everyone, because it's a one-time... Not not for my team. Oh, no, but you've still... There's a glorious unknown, at least, right? And, And that's a positive thing. More negatively, though, and, and not actually not necessarily negatively, but the rules. Positive. I'm, I'm yeah, super up yeah, about Yeah, well, one of the things that's becoming clearer is that the coaches are really anxious about losing some control over oh, the yeah. game. They always and, have been, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, but it's, it's coming out with the thing about runners. I think there's been a real overreaction to the new rules about runners. Um, the 
rule changes, and there's nine in total. I don't think people realise how many there are, but they're nine. But the, the you know the biggest talking point, the six 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 at the centre bounces. Um, that is really going to change the way a lot of teams set up. I saw some really interesting stats during the week from Champion Data about the amount of times last year both Richmond and Adelaide set up with extra men behind the ball at the bounce. So uh, Richmond had a six 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 formation at a centre bounce fewer than uh, 3% of the time, less than any other club. Adelaide went with an 8-6-4 formation, so eight defenders at the bounce, 30, nearly 30% of the time, far, far more than any other side in the league. So I was thinking these sides must have spent a lot of time over summer um, working on new centre bounce strategies because they've got no alternative now. Well, I can tell you with Richmond, I, I and I can't bear this out with any actual facts, but this will change markedly. I know the player who was put behind the ball for them at the centre bounce, I think maybe from three a third of the way through the season with Shane Edwards. Yeah. And there are impact players who sort of integrated into the attacking play of a side from the halfback flank. Mm. Not always a defensive move, by the way, having players set up behind the ball. They He came flooding through the centre as an extra centreman, mm. read the game beautifully and had a really good season playing that role of flooding through the centre of the ground. He's now going to revert, I think, to being a wingman. Yeah. I know, you know, just anecdotally from the JLT series, the lost position of the wing has returned. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and you know what? It might actually... It, it will recast certain footballers and their importance in the game. And there was no more spectacular position, I believe, when the game was, I think at its zenith in terms of watchability, were some of the great wingmen. May it be Robbie Flower, Doug Hawkins. Keith Gregg. Dippier Dominico, Keith Gregg. Ricky Barham. They lived on the wing. They flourished on the wing. And I think we might be, you know, we've certainly swung the pendulum back to that sort of setup. The, the other thing too, the kicking, we didn't see a lot of uh, new kicking strategies in the JLT, not to my observation anyway, but I think we'll see that evolve. And here's another big positive, that as a result of that kicking player being given the extra five metres, so the player on the mark being 10 metres further back, the kicks are going to be launched from further in. So if there's a stoppage coming from that kick-in, it's going to be a lot further up the ground than on the edge of the 50. So that will stop sides camping out in the opposition. Right. It, it, it works. 50. And um, we'll see more transitional play and, and scores coming from end-to-end. Do you know, um, I looked up the figures yesterday. The we Last year, uh, 4% of all scores came from kick-ins. Yep. It was thirty about 35 uh, 30, or 34.5% from um, clearances, stoppages, uh, 65.5% from turnovers. And most of them coming in that forward 50. That We want less of that and we want more end-to-end play. And I think the kick-in thing particularly will encourage that. I, I, I just in watching the JLT, I really thought that the game potentially could move better. Of course, it, it JLT series is nowhere near as intense or uh, defensively minded as a real game of football. Mm. 
I think there's one rule change that could really help because to me, the place that it still slows down a lot and to me is not keeping up with the trend of, of movement of ball and open spaces is the boundary line. Yeah. And I really believe if if we could cut down the number of throw-ins, I think that would be better for football. Mm. And I think the simple way of doing it is by changing the out-of-bounds rule to the basketball rule. Oh, last touch. No, 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 no. The, the ball is in play as long as the player is in play. So as long as it doesn't bounce, if it bounces, if it touches the ground out of bounds, it's out of bounds. Yeah. But there are a number of times where a player oh, is yeah, so deemed right, to be yeah. out of, the ball's out of bounds, but the player is in. Yeah. And if we could just cut that down yeah. by following the basketball rule of where your feet are placed, yeah. and that can keep the ball in, mm. that'll mean more marks, more less throw-ins, and that, I think that would be better for the game. Yeah, well, the other thing, uh, the women uh, have, I think this has been a positive one for them too, the boundary throw-ins being taken 10 metres in from the boundary, yeah. and so the ball stays in the corridor a lot more. Uh, just quickly, when I was talking about the uncertainty of uh, fans, I was talking about that feeling generally, has City Hall gone mad? You know, AFLX, which was just a bizarre phenomenon for mine. I still can't sort of get my head around it. AFLX draft night, to me, was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Well, yeah. Well, just, you know... Um, it was just weird. Cartoon-named teams and, and you know, the, this whole Marvel thing. We've got the Bulldogs and the Thor jumpers this week, of course. Um, and... The uh, Thor, you should see the other guy. <laughs> the annual, not bad. The annual debate about the the Twilight Night Grand Final, which everyone is so cynical about, and um, the AFL playing the public for saps, and I think the public have had a gutful of that as well. Last, just very quickly, the yep. sort of the last word on uh, the sort of new look that football has. Mm. I'll ask you. Mm-hmm. Some of these rules, including hands in the back, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is aimed to bring the spearhead back into football. Yeah. Who, not who, but how many goals do you think will top the goal kicking? Are we set to head north a bit? Can we get, I'm not saying 100 goals in a season, yeah. can we get away from 50s and 60s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it'll go up a bit. I think 70 something. You've got to remember though that you know the, the centre the time taken for centre bounce occupies what ten seconds at most. You're yeah. gonna get a you know twenty five of them a game is four minutes out of hundred and twenty minutes. Yeah. You know. But, but the the cleaner centre breaks will mean for opportunities key forwards for key more, forwards. Correct. And so, and I think the umpires are gonna be keyed into the fact that maybe, you know, historically benefit to the defender you know, where people say, oh, that would have been a free kick further up the field, but not yeah. to the forward. Yeah. I think we might have a change on that. Yeah. And I think forwards will be given every opportunity to take marks. Yep. Yep. No, good point. All right. Time for us to move on. On Footyology Media Watch. Okay, we all love this segment. Uh, our colleagues don't because they're always tuning in to see who's getting bagged this week. But um, I thought we'd talk about uh, TV footy shows, Finey, because um, there's quite a few of them. In fact, there was an interesting um, thing in the Herald Sun yesterday, I think, and uh, it was a sort of a, 
uh, a quick summary of each footy show on TV. How many in total across all networks, how many football shows do you reckon there are on TV? 15. Yeah, no, close, close. Carl, our uh, producer extraordinaire, Carl Bianco, how many footy shows do you think there are on TV? Carl reckons 16. 11. 11. 11. No, the answer, my friends, 18. And well, here that's the, a football number. And here they, here they are. We're going to go through them. On Fox Footy, a new show, Up the Guts, hosted by Lawrence Mooney. It's a new late-night Friday footy show, bringing the laughs post-game in front of a live studio audience. Dean Thomas will contribute to the frivolity too, once everyone works out who Dean Thomas is. AFL 360 continues on Fox Footy. Yep. On the couch. Just where, on 360, how many nights a week is that? Uh, four, I think. Yep. Uh, on the couch, open mic. We're familiar with that. Uh, he turns the page. On the mark, which is the one that started last year. That's the um, uh, the personal side of the game. The beep test uh, that started last year as well. Dave Thornton and Lawrence Mooney again. The ubiquitous Lawrence Mooney. Saturday stretch, which is the post Saturday night game wrap up, and that is uh, Dermot Brereton. Brad Johnson and Sarah Ollie making her debut on Saturday Stretch. And uh, she is replacing, I think, Nerily Meadows. And Nerily, of course, moving on to the footy show. And then also AFL Tonight, which is a nightly news program bringing you all the day's footy stories. Channel 7 has the front bar, which debuted for the year last night. Game day on Sunday mornings. Um, Now, I haven't watched that for a number of years, but it's hosted by Hamish McLaughlin and a rotating panel of current players and uh, AFL journalist Nat Edwards, who's been on it for a while now. Uh, Lee Matthews, Jimmy Bartell, Adam Cooney. Talking footy on Monday nights. That's had a bit of a revamp Jackie Felgate has moved into that news role, I think. And uh, Tom Brown as well, the ubiquitous Tom Brown. And the kick, which, uh, to quote Channel 7, gets the party started on 7 Saturday Night Footy. Uh, That will be hosted by Nat Edwards and uh, Matthew Richardson. Campbell Brown and a rotation of the freshest young. I wonder if Campbell's going to weigh in on French politics. Um, the freshest young stars of the competition, including Angus Brayshaw and Andrew McGar- McGrath. Uh, Byron Cook will join the time- team each week as resident reporter. And uh, Jackie Felgate will host the Footy Central segment. Um, SBS, of course, Margrook Footy Show, that made its debut last night. And uh, to people who have asked me, no, I'm not on the Margrook Footy Show this year. Um, don't know why. They haven't told me anything in typical media fashion, so if you're listening, Grant, always happy to take your call. Uh, Channel 9 footy show revamp, of course, that started last night, and Brenna Favola, Dylan Alcott, Neroli Meadows, and Anthony Limo Lehman, that's what the caption says. Uh, Footy classified, of course, the, um, how would you sum that up? Sort of like Peyton Place in a football panel since a lot of uh, confected outrage and sparring between various panellists. And a new show on Channel 9 following Footy Classified, The Oval Office, hosted by Sam McClure. Each week McClure will be joined by a player. That sounds a bit open-ended. So um, that's the roll call, Finey. How many of them would you uh, would you be interested in watching? Um, five of them, maybe. 
18, yeah, I, I reckon, yeah, I reckon five, five or six. Um, okay, so we clearly have a problem with a lot of these shows. What is our problem with those shows? Look, there's new currency, at, certainly at Fox Footy, for footy entertainment. Um, they've got a couple of, well, a comedian, Lawrence Mooney, mm-hmm. uh, in a couple of programs. It's good that they've got, look, they've got a dedicated football station channel. So it, it is good that they have a range of programming. I, I think that there's, uh, look, personally, I think that there's a miss here. Somewhere between the ex-footballer, the um, promoted comedic element, the, the, new, the newly inserted comedic element, and uh, female content. Well, hang on. You forgot one of the essential food groups of televised football shows. I mean, I was going to say, you have to be, to be on a TV footy show, you have to be a former player. A, uh, you can be a non-player as long as you've already been on TV. If you're going to be newly introduced to the television medium, it seems you have to be either a comedian or an FM disc jockey. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh, sorry, you can be a mate of Hutchie or Eddie Maguire as well. That helps. I mean, the question is whether it is a closed shop because Fox Football has news-limited connections. Is that correct? Well, they own it. <laughs> That's a strong connection. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to have a, a variety of opinions on these football programs? The football entertainment... The granddaddy of them all is the footy show, but this is a completely new footy show. I'll keep my powder dry on commenting about it till I watch an episode in full. Mm. It's a curious new panel, but again, whilst Dylan Alcott is rightfully nationally known, internationally known for his exploits on the tennis court, um, is he a sage football mind? I don't know. I didn't watch the program first episode he may well be and I certainly am not going to tear, you know shoot him dead in flames until I see what he has to offer I do know this that Fev is on that program um, because of his success on FM radio mm. he's rebranded himself very successfully probably deserves another crack at the at the at the you know pointy end of broadcasting that's okay I, he's not necessarily my cup of tea but there's a following there Limo adds to the FM feel of the footy show. Narrowly Meadows. What is, is the a FM newbie. feel? What is it? Vapid laughing at jokes that aren't funny, but and triple black thunders. Yeah, but whether or not that translates to a new footy show, it's aimed at what twenty somethings. I, that... I want them to go the whole hog. I want them to get you know Gavin Wood or Kevin Hillier or someone to come on and. And our next game is the uh, Bulldogs versus Sydney. And uh, you head out now and uh, catch our Triple Thunder out on the corner of Barclay Street and you can win a uh, Hutton's Hot Dogs prize pack. Why not get a real DJ? Okay, folks, uh, now till, from 10 o'clock till 11 o'clock, it's half price daiquiris at the bar. Get the guy from Stylus, the old nightclub. But what I'm saying is the football show seems to be going have decided, those in power have decided... We want to be the front bar. We're going away from football discussion. 
Well, that, the footy show hadn't indulged in much footy discussion for think, 10 years anyway. I think last year they tried to bring it back towards more football, for, for more hardcore football-oriented fans, and it didn't really work for them. So they've ditched that. I'll keep my powder dry. I think, you know what, I don't think it's... It doesn't sound like it's as much a footy show as an entertainment program loosely cast around football. But I'll wait to comment on it. These other programs that are football entertainment, the front bar seems to be the the market leader there. Just quickly, just on, on the footy show and, and Dylan Olcott, um, because people are saying, what's he doing on the panel? Well, once upon a time, TV networks ago, we want to do a show about this. Who's a great expert on this? And we'll get them to do that show. It's the other way around now. What they do is they go... Who's someone we want to be a Channel 7 yeah, personality? Correct. And then they work them into the programming, e.g., you know, those sort of weekend... Uh, Channel 7's got a new weekend getaway sort of type show and BT's on it and Jack Rewalt's on it. Yeah. And you get things like that now. And, and basically, a lot of their programming slots are a chance to promote their personality. So the content is very much secondary. It's about promoting a brand. Now, is Sam Newman completely dispensed with? I think he's going to come back and do the odd special or some interviews or something. Actually, Sam will be involved with the Sunday footy show, I think, doing interviews on that. Because this is a sort of generational thing where these new people on the footy show are the sort of people that um, would have been not anti-Sam Newman, but, but... aghast at some of the old stunts and pranks that went on on the program. Yeah, but Channel Channel 9 will like that because it will just create a whole new bunch of people to be uh, angered. I think he will come back, if he comes back on the program, and I imagine he will in some form, as such an anti-hero that he's almost a hero. You know, you, you become so despised that you become liked for being anti anti-establishment and I'm hoping that doesn't work with Fraser Ranning but um yeah I can see how sometimes <laughs> that holds so look the program I mean we're talking a lot about a program the footy show and I've got to watch it really to give a final verdict on but I'll I'll say this that Dylan Alcott isn't your Bruce Andrew no no he's certainly not for people who don't know who Bruce Andrew was that is the classic 1960s footy program where mm. the soundest football mind, even if he had his hair parted in the middle like he played in the 1930s and had a deadpan, personalityless approach to dissecting football. But football he could dissect uh, featured on football paddles. And Bruce Andrew also single-handedly kept Brill Cream in operation for about 30 years. But but the, the idea then was the the soundest football minds regardless of their public appeal across a, a range of demographics, belong us on a football show. And we've gone 180 degrees to something very different. Yeah. Look, in all seriousness, out of that whole range of footy shows, what are the ones I watch and sort of look forward to? For whatever reason, I mean, last year, I think I was doing Mangrook on most of the same nights it was on, but... Um, the front bar, I really like the front bar. I think it really touches the right chord or, or hits the right chord. Um, I think on the couch is very technical and I like the analysis they do. Um, open mic when the interviewee is a good one, I think can be really good. 
Um, the others, uh, I can I can pretty much take or leave. I did want to point out, though, I, I caught a bit of the front bar last night, and the bit I saw was fantastic. It, it, it was perfect. And it said to me, this is why this show works and why everyone now is running around trying to replicate it and they can't. Um, okay, so what happened was Ryan Fitzgerald, Fitzy, Ryan Fitzgerald does those sort of roving segments for them. He was outside the MCG. And he said, I want to talk about uh, the grand final last year. And it was about Dom Sheed's goal. Not the goal itself, but the reaction of a Collingwood supporter sitting in the front row of seating behind where Dom Sheed lined up. And this came to light. Um, there's a doco on Fox Footy about the Eagles premiership, which I think might even be on tonight. Maybe it was last night. But it showed the goal. And in slow-mo, you see this this guy's obviously a Collingwood supporter. And Sheed is right in front of him, sort of pumping his fists after he's kicked it. And the guy just gives him the thumbs up. And it's sort of like, well, yep, too good. Great stuff. And he acknowledges it. And it's a genuinely lovely moment. Anyway, uh, Ryan Fitzgerald picked up on this too. I saw a tweet from him about it. Anyway, they dug up the Collingwood supporter. And is he guy, dead? <laughs> sorry, uh, metaphorically speaking. Oh, his name, oh he's, he's quite a young guy. His name is Alex Davies. And uh, he was wear, they got him to wear the same gear that he was wearing on the day. Didn't have a beer in his hand, though, unlike at the grand final. And they, um, they interviewed him and, it, and asked him what he was going through his head. And um, they gave him a footy signed by West Coast, uh, a cake which had like a Collingwood hat on it and a framed photo about, you know, I can't remember what the title was, but sort of like best sport of the year or something. And it it was a great moment. And then they dug up the footage of him before Sheed had kicked the goal and he's given him the, the finger. <laughs> yeah, two of them were giving him the greatest mouthful of all time. But isn't that a great thing? It's sort of like, yeah, you know, you mouth off at the opposite. But when, you know, when it someone's just too good for you, you acknowledge it. I, I When I saw the guy doing that, I thought that is a great thing. You know, when I, I've seen the whole footage yeah. of it. And do you know what struck me in the whole thing? What? That if my team was three minutes to go yeah. in a do or die moment in the grand final as they had been some eight years, eight or nine years yeah, ago, yeah. I wouldn't be having a beer in my hand. No, I no, mean, I wouldn't either. Who's got a time to have a, a you know, a bevy no. at that point in your life? No, I, I and I wouldn't be giving the thumbs up to the opposition. I wouldn't be abusing them either. I'd just be dead. I'd would. probably be. No, I, I, I wouldn't be abusing, but I'd be leaning over, you know, in his ear. In his ear. After he's kicked it. No, no. I'm no, saying, that's what I'm talking. I know. I'm talking about after he's kicked. I it. think I, I found that whole passage really Australian and yeah, very yeah. and very relatable. Okay, and this is my point that. Um, Whoever writes the stuff for the footy bar or produces it, no, I'm not front sure. What did I say? The footy, footy bar. bar, sorry, the front bar. I'm not even sure who it is, but they, whoever they are, they get it. They get footy, and they're like us, and they have those. You know, they they are they uh, gravitate to the same things about the game that we do. Well, I, I no, no, hang on. Okay. I, I think a big problem with a lot of these other footy shows that are trying to recreate that feel are that the people doing it don't have that same passion for the game. Yeah, I agree. But I've got to say, I was a producer, a segment producer on the short-lived Live and Kicking. All right, now I know you want to tell a story, so tell it in one minute. I, I, I don't even need to tell the story. Now go I, and tell a story. Well, quick. I did something very similar on Live and Kicking. What happened? 20 odd years ago, there was a, a Collingwood game where Anthony Rocker missed an important goal 
from basically the edge of the goal square. Mm-hmm. And there, there was this young, heavy-set Collingwood supporter, gave him an absolute mouthful, his own team, and you could see him say, I could and kick that. Yeah. So we dug him up. He was alive. And got permission from the MCG to take him to the G. Dougie yeah. Hawkins was on the mark. He was part of the program. <laughs> yeah. The ball was soaking in a barrel of wet of water because it was wet on the night. And he had one chance to kick the goal. Yeah. And with an awkward kicking style, he kicked it. And we got an AFL goal umpire. Yeah. And he kicked it. So yeah, no, I like it. A good, it was of, good sketch. It was of similar, similar mindset. Okay, tell me this in five seconds, no more. Why didn't live and kicking work? Uh, it tried to do too many things. It tried to be too many things. So it wanted to be live. It was at the, uh, in Paran, there was a, a big auditorium, a, a sort of a theatre there. Yeah. That space didn't work. And it's all about chemistry. And unfortunately, you know what was really unfortunate? Doug Hawkins, who's perfectly adept as a football brain, mm. was cast as the clown, the joker. Yeah. And it was... You know, it it was paper thin. And look, the other problem was that Channel 9 at that stage was the footy powerhouse, the home of football, and it did everything in its power to sort of crush live and kicking. And the world football, the the viewing world wasn't ready for two footy shows. Maybe it never would be ready for two footy shows. Well, now... now So Harvey Silver created the footy show. (laughs) Yeah. And his recreation seemed to be a pale imitation. Ah, well, the world wasn't ready for two footy shows. Now, apparently, it's ready for 18. All right, uh, there's some big games coming up in round one. Time to talk about them. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Okay, round one, always a big leap into the unknown. It gets underway Thursday evening. Carlton v Richmond, traditional season opener at the MCG. Uh, 13 changes Carlton have made to the side that took the field in round 23 last year. Six new players, Nick Newman, Michael Gibbons, Sam Walsh, Mitch McGovern, Alex Fasolo and Will Setterfield. I think the Blues will make a marginal improvement this year. I'm, I'm reasonably confident that'll happen. I think Walsh will be a gun. Richmond, of course, have one huge in, in Tom Lynch. Mav Weller, of course, playing for them as well. But Lynch is going to be massive for Richmond. Uh, they did finish two games clear on top of the ladder last year, finding the best-performed side across five months. I think they're going to be right up in the uh, thick of the action come grand final time again. Uh, I don't think they'll let this one drop. It's a very important symbolic statement. I'm going for the Tigers comfortably. Over the last two seasons, they've won five more games than any other team. They clearly are the standard bearers in the competition. And... Look, Carlton were competitive in this game last year. It's, I guess, if you ever want to play the best team in the comp, it's round one is a good time to do it. Unveiling a lot of new players. I'm on the same page as you are with Carlton's improvement, but the big watch is how Rewalt and Lynch combine in what I believe will be a winning Richmond team. Okay, Friday, big one on Friday too. This is a great match. Collingwood v Geelong. Of course, the pie is so agonisingly close to the flag. Uh, Geelong, are they a fading power? I've got them sneaking into the eight this year, Finey. Uh, I'm not convinced about the recruits they've picked up, the impact they're going to make. Still very top-heavy and reliant on uh, Dangerfield, Selwood, Ablett, etc. Their midfield looks good. Not sure about the forward setup. Um, Pye's got quite a few injuries. Adams will be out. Uh, Hoskin Elliott's out. Uh, Lyndon Dunn, Daniel Wells out. Uh, Jamie Elliott back in harness, which is good to see. Cats 
not very good at the MCG. They only won two, I think, of eight games on the MCG last year. I'm going for the Pies narrowly. Bargain pickup Jordan Ruffhead is set to play for Collingwood. He bolsters height in the back line. Darcy Moore will be given a freedom in the back line to play intercept mark. I think that'll work well. Deep Collingwood midfield. I tip the Pies. I've got another little tipping test for you. Mm -hmm. Which game will have the larger crowd? Carlton Richmond or Collingwood Geelong? Uh, Collingwood Geelong. I'll go Carlton Richmond. Yeah, I just think Friday night might get a few yeah, more than... But than both, 80, both north of 80,000. Uh, around 80, I think. Yeah, um, good. Yeah, okay. Uh, MCG again is uh, the venue on Saturday afternoon. Melbourne taking on Port Adelaide. Not 80,000 plus. Uh, definitely not, but uh, they'll, get a, they'll get 50, I reckon. Um, yeah? yeah? Possibly. Yeah, look, Melbourne... Very much uh, flag contenders, I reckon. Uh, I can see further improvement in them. Um, have got a lot of injuries, though. And Stephen May, recruit out suspended, but Lever out. Mitch Hannon, uh, Vandenberg, another recruit, Collar Jasney, he won't be playing. Like the look of their midfield. Port worry me, Finey. Um, I, I think their ins, uh, which are Scott Lysette, Ryan Burton and Sam Mays, join the uh, list. I reckon their outs are considerable. Wingard, Pollock and Pittard. I can see them really missing all three of those players. I don't like where they're going. Um, I think Melbourne's going to win this one pretty well. Gee, it's, it's, I think Port uh, placed to give a bit of a, a rattle at this. I wish Charlie Dixon hadn't got injured over the mm. summer. That, to me, is a big loss because of Melbourne's... Short-term lack of height in the back line. I mean, Stephen May being suspended, no lever. It falls to Oscar McDonald. Paddy Ryder will be down there, but Charlie Dixon maybe could have really exploited that opportunity. I'll tip Melbourne, but by no considerable margin. Melbourne just. Okay. Adelaide Hawthorne, uh, Saturday afternoon, 4.05 local time. Um, now, Hawthorne have got a fantastic record against uh, the Crows. They've won, I think, nine of the last ten clashes between the two teams, and um, three of them have been at Adelaide Oval. But the Hawks, one injury. You can't talk about Hawthorne without immediately thinking of Tom Mitchell not being there for the whole year. I can't think of a single player in the competition whose absence will have as devastating an impact on a side as Mitchell's will on Hawthorne. You know, it means the likes of Warpool um, have got to step up, and I really rate Warpool, but step up to the level of a Brownlow medalist? I don't think so. They've got injury issues. I mean, Amir is the one that really has to step up. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. They've got injury issues too. Wingard won't play this week, got a calf injury. Grant Birchall unavailable, as he has been for most of the last couple of years. I think the Crows are going to bounce back big time this year, finally. They remind me a bit of... What Geelong did in 2007 after a disappointing 06 and what Richmond did in 2017 after a disappointing 2016. I reckon they're ready to show their best side again and I think they'll win this one. I think they'll win as well and I think most people expect them to win this game almost comfortably. If they cannot beat Hawthorne, in fact even if during the game it's a bit of a tussle, then they'll there'll be some nervousness because this would be considered a must-win game for a resurrected Adelaide, wouldn't it, against a a wounded Hawthorne? Yep. Uh, There's a lot... I don't think any team has more to lose this round than Adelaide, 
but I think mm. they'll win. Okay. Um, Eddie, oh, no. Marvel Stadium. I'm going to get, that's going to be, take a while to get used to that. Marvel Stadium, Saturday evening. Sydney Swans up against Thor. Uh, yes, new team coming into the competition. Thor, of course, Marvel Comics now yep. major sponsors of the AFL in, uh, with the naming rights to the venue. No, I, I, um, I stuff around there. We're talking about the Western Bulldogs. Uh, repeat of the 2016 Grand Final. I'm not convinced about either of these sides fighting. I think the Bulldogs have really sort of lost their way after that premiership. And the Swans, and dare I say it, we've seen how many times we said this over the last 20 years, but I think they're starting to look like it's closer to the end of an era than the start. They've done a good job in regenerating, but uh, there's, there's not a lot of excitement about them, I don't think. I could be wrong. I've been wrong about them before. Buddy Franklin is in doubt. That would make a huge difference. Uh, Dan Menzel uh, still a few weeks away. Nick Smith not playing either. Um, the doggies, the Thor jumpers, can they inspire them? Gee, I... So I'm sorry, I haven't said who I'm tipping. tipping I'm tipping the Swans, yeah. Yeah, this is a, a, a game between two teams. The Swans have been so good for so long, but one gets a feeling that there may be the, you know, the signs of old age are creeping in and decline is upon us. Write them off at your own peril. The Bulldogs, there's a case to be made that they could finish bottom bottom three. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. I, 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 you know, they've got a very interesting potential forward line set up. If they go with Shacky and Norton, it's hardly going to, you know, be the sort of forward line that's going to strike fear into opposition defenders. You know, I'm I'm going to go for the Bulldogs because I've got a feeling that there's a couple of Swans that are underdone, and I know the Swans are going to play some youngsters in this game. Mm. Uh, Against what I think the dogs will do in the season, I think they can steal this one. All right, uh, Brisbane West Coast at the Gabba on Saturday night. Now that's this, a ripper. It is a ripper. Um, I think most people expect Brisbane to improve. I think I've got them finishing twelfth, but uh, some of their young guys and they looked they looked impressive in the JLT. They really did. They impressed me as much as anyone. Eric Hipwood looks like he's ready to have a real breakout year if he hasn't done that already. Yeah, he stepped up last year, but now he now. Can he be in the group of players that can win the Coleman? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think he's of that calibre. Yep. Um, the Eagles, no slouches either. I've got the Eagles winning um, the flag again, to be honest. I think they've still got more improvement in them. They'll get, not this week, they'll get Gaff, Nat Nui and um, Shepard back uh, at Nat some N- stage. Nat Nui's a watch. Yeah, yeah. Getting back halfway through the year. But I think they can do it without him. Well, they have done it without him. Um, some other big potential uh, absences, uh, Josh Kennedy and Jamie Cripps as well. And, um, yeah, Brisbane looking stronger. I, I like their recruiting too, not just Lockie Neal, but Jared Lyons, I think he's solid. Lincoln McCarthy, if he gets a, a clean run at injury-wise, could really surprise people. He's a very skillful footballer. So I'm going for the Eagles, but only just. Can you explain to me how a team like the Gold Coast decimated Poor to start off with, decimated further by off-season defections, mm. delisted lines. No, I can't. It was clearly one of those situations where clash there was coach? something. Coach, coach clash. Well, not even necessarily a clash, but the coach. There was something about him as a footballer that coach just couldn't get past. It happens. Yeah. yeah. So who are you tipping? Oh, I want to tip Brisbane in this. 
We'll tip them. Yeah, I will. Okay. Because only because I I don't think West Coast's forward line has enough weapons. And you know what? Harris Andrews can quell Jack Darling, and I think Mm. that's the main issue. No, fair enough. Didn't Willie Rioli look good in the preseason? Yes, and that was it. Sorry, that was the other thing I was going to say about the Eagles. When I talk about scope for improvement, Willie Rioli and Liam Ryan, they played one season Mm. each. I mean, they could be superstars, both those guys. What? Why wouldn't every team want a Rioli? Why do they slip through to late selections in drafts? Oh, I'm buggered if I know. Uh, one of the great football families, no doubt about that. By whom? What? You're buggered by oh, carry on. Oh, no, no, none of that on this show. Uh, all right, St Kilda Gold Coast at Marvel Stadium there. I said it properly this time. Is this the battle for the wooden spoon? Not often do you say that about a game in round one. Um, but these are the two sides I've got finishing 18th and 17th, much as I had to say it. I've got them finishing 18th and 19th. <laughs> That's very good. And the Saints, oh, you've got to feel sorry for the Saints. Oh, like, how many, how many ladders have they walked under over the summer? So here, here are the absentees. Carlisle. Season. Hannabury. Indefinite. Uh, Robertson. Retired. Uh, Nathan Brown. Suspended. suspended. Uh, Billy Wonga. Jack Stephen. Uh, Paddy McCartan. Stephen might play. Like, seriously, that's... McCartan... In terms of ability... Indefinite, maybe retired. All those players, virtually, apart from Longer, are probably in their top 10, aren't they? Oh, or, yeah. Or close oh, to oh, it. McCartan was hopefully going to develop, look good in the first JLT. Robertson was so key to St Kilda's possible improvement this year. Last year, Robertson and Bruce didn't play. Yeah. And in that first JLT game against North, they both functioned exactly as you would have wanted them. St Kilda won both their JLT games, yeah, and look but Robertson played in both of them. Yeah. And McCartan played in both the of them. The one guy I do like the look of is uh, Matthew Parker. I think he looks pretty exciting. Yeah. Don't rate him? Oh, look, he'll, he'll add... He's, to me, a bit of cream on the top, but I don't think there's anything to top it with. There's no cake. It's just a, a plate full of cream. And if you have a look at Gold Coast team, that midfield, that really... Goes back to the Brisbane Bears days. Yeah, of, know, it's who all... are they? I'm tipping St Kilda, by the yeah, way. Yeah, well, so am I, but not by a lot. Uh, okay, two games to go. Uh, Spotless Stadium, 3.20 Sunday afternoon. Oh, the Dylan Shield grudge match. Oh, I hate that, where a guy goes back to you play. Said it. Like, yeah, I know, but I said it in a sarcastic voice. Um, really interesting game, this one. Essendon beat GWS up there last year. A lot of pressure on the Bombers, which you mentioned uh, off the top of the show. I'm 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 cautiously optimistic about Essendon um, this season. I, I'm not sure they're as advanced as some think. However, I do. I'm a little bit worried about the Giants. I think their losses in terms of talent with Shield and Scully. I know he didn't play last year, but they've lost a lot of their dash and their dare and brilliance. They look a lot more pedestrian to me now. And in terms of the immediate future, um, Callum Ward won't be there. Uh, Jonathan Patton, of course, long-term injury. Mumford is suspended. Zach Langdon not playing. And there's doubts over Aidan Core and Nick Haynes. So uh, Essendon injuries as well. Joe Danaher, of course, won't be there for the first month. However, they did cope pretty well without him last year. Kale Hooker is another significant one. He'll be out for probably the first three or four as well. So tough start to the year for the Dons. And uh, yeah, it's, they lose a couple early. People will be wondering if it's going to go the way of last year and they win two of their first eight. I think they've got to win this one. You know, if they're going to sort of be a genuine sort of where a chance to go all the way sort of thing, these are the games you've got to win. Oh, these two teams are probably, in a lot of people's pre-season ladders, very close to each other. Yeah. 
Okay, so who do you... Oh, I'm going for Essendon, but very narrowly. Who who do you fancy? I'm going for GWS, and I just like the balance of their team more. Mm. It's less of the, the precocious, best of the generation youngsters, mm. and more a mix now of footballers that have come up through various means to get into the team. Mm. Some have done it hard. Some have been the best of their year. And to me, that's more a football team. Yep. I think they could surprise this year. I'm tipping GWS. No, no, fair call. All right, and round one wraps up at Optus Stadium at 3.20 Sunday local time, so 6.20 on the East Coast. And it's Fremantle taking on North Melbourne. Could the Dockers have had a worse lead into round one than Jesse Hogan uh, saga, of course, oh, which is boy. very disturbing. Um, Harley Bennell apparently been involved in another off-field misdemeanor. Um, and they've got some serious injuries too. Aaron Sandlin's not there. Stephen Hill, uh, unlikely to be there. Connor Blakely. Um, Jimmy Hill. Uh, Match of the day. <laughs> Stephen Hill. Uh, no, I think Brad Hill's there. He's okay. Yeah. Connor Blakely, not playing. Brandon Matera suspended. Brennan Cox, not there. Shane Kirsten, not there. So I don't think the Shane Kirsten's no, absence no, makes a huge difference. No, but he is injured. Um, but <laughs> but Sandlin's Hill, Blakely, uh, Cox, I think, are in their best lineup. So that's uh, that's a blow for them. Kangaroos, um, they've they've had a few injury worries too. But the quartet of recruits, Pollock, Tyson, Hall, Pittard, they should all be there. Weren't overly impressive in the JLT North, but I am very bullish. About them this year. I've really? got a, Well, I've got them finishing seventh on the ladder. Ooh la la. Yeah, I think they'll make the eight. Well, they finished ninth last year, finally, and they've picked up four ready-made and pretty handy senior players. Okay. Um, now, having said all this, uh, I Let just... Let say that. Yeah, I think Frio first up at home. I think they get the points. Yeah, just. Interesting game. A fully fit Nat Fife is worth a million dollars, isn't he? I mean, mm. if the game's close, there's your match winner right on the field, sitting ready to pounce. I'll go for the home team. You know, Brendan Cox. Who was Berkeley Cox? I don't know. I've got to find out who Berkeley Cox was. That's okay. a name that I also remember. Okay. Carl's, Carl's going to look us. up Berkeley you, you Cox. You go on actually previewing the game we're talking about. Oh, I, I think North Melbourne... Uh, look, I think we see the best of North Melbourne in Tasmania. Then we see the next best of North Melbourne at Marvel. And I think by the time North Melbourne get over to Perth, they're not a great team. Now, I know that's harsh, Mm. but they need to win me over as a serious interstate on-the-road team. Did they not start last year early on with a, a bad loss to Gold Coast? Was that? Uh, that was in game one, but it was in a swimming pool I'm saying, in but, Cairns. But, you know, that's a game that yeah. they should have won. Yeah. And I just have that that nagging interstate yeah, north yeah. aren't mature enough for it yet feel. And also their defence, Scott Thompson's not playing. Mm. Um, it was undersized during the JLT. And uh, remember Rory Lobb takes his place in the Fremantle forward line. I, I think Fremantle can get over the line. All right, there are our tips. Uh, we're Which we're going to keep a record yes, of this year. well, you're entrusted with that, yes. so uh, I'm a little bit nervous about that prospect. But, yes, uh, I'm not to be trusted with much statistical Well, much at all, really. But. Oh, that's a bit, 
harsh. I do, right, four, I, can... I do have four children that are clothed and fed. All right, now I've I've lent you a pen and ripped out a page from my notebook for you to keep track of it. I'm going to have to do that every week. Clearly, just make sure you shove all the bits of paper somewhere safe together. I'll I'll find a better method of tally and that's good to hear and uh, all you listening out there if you guys want to keep track of our selections please feel free and you can leave a comment on the website at footyology.com.au and during the season we will think of a suitable gamble a, a wager but not financial more of a dare something that might have you back on the streets of melbourne singing Charlene songs. Oh, yeah, okay. The old Lou Richards take a bath and a horse trough sort of thing. All yeah. right, no, good idea. We'll think of that. A challenge. Maybe shaving off a moustache or two could be part of it. Oh, I don't know. It's become part of the shtick, finally. Uh, all right, let's bring it on home. On Footyology, the final word. All right, new segment just to wrap up things, uh, put uh, cross the T's and dot the I's and all that sort of stuff. Um, final word. Okay, I love this time of year. The, what's better than the start of a footy season? What I love most about it is glorious uncertainty and optimism. Now, I, I know you will probably disagree being a St Kilda fan, but I think even if you support a team that's not expected to do well, you can hope. You at least have hope. We're not eight rounds into the season. You've been thrashed by 100 points three games in a row, like happened to St Kilda in 1985. Um, and against Richmond, Carlton, and the Sydney Swans. Correct. Uh, there is still some bit of hope in your heart. Um, I, I remember as a kid going to first games of the season, buying the footy record and opening it to see what number all the new players are wearing. Um, that sense of excitement, it, it dilutes slightly as an adult, but I love this time of year. I love the first round of I love footy when it's still warm and sunny outside and, and it's still light late in the afternoon. Uh, it's a great time of year, and um, I uh, back I'll, to the MCG for the sweet smell of pipe tobacco. Absolutely, well, maybe In the not members. that. Yeah, maybe not that, but um, uh, a great time of year. I, I love uh, the start of a new footy season. It's one of my favourite times of year. Uh, my final word is about optimism in St Kilda, and I went through the eighties as a cockeyed optimist. That year, nineteen eighty-five, I remember the first game of the season. G Ablett was making his debut for St Kilda. Jeff Ablett. <laughs> and I I was excited. I, we went into that game against Sydney, or the Swans, as favourites and lost by over 100 points. And I remember thinking to myself, he's on a racehorse. Who is that old geezer on the wing? He couldn't bend over. And I have that same sense of foreboding this year. So I'll say this. If St Kilda somehow lost to the Gold Coast at Marvel Stadium, then you look at the next 21 games and say, we're going to go duck egg. I don't think it'll happen. I think they'll beat the Gold Coast, but I have a sense of impending doom. And by the way, Berkeley Cox played 100 games for Carlton, or 102 games, in the 60s. He was, he was named to be a, a, a silver tail from Turek rather than a Carlton footballer. Then again, back then, the two were probably one and the same. And greetings to the Cox family listening in from Turak, uh, or probably the butler, probably uh, holding the... Actually, uh, he sounds more like a butler. Berkeley! <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, that's it for our first episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, very big news before we go. Sunday nights, we are going to be doing a second audio podcast to wrap up the round of footy. 
don't miss it. Our aim is to come out as soon as possible after the last game of each round has finished. So make sure you uh, stick around for that one. We're available on iTunes. We're available on Wooshka. We are now or very soon will be available on Spotify. And, of course, I will post a link on the Footyology website and go to Footyology for all the news and views you want to read, footyology.com. .au. Big round one coming up. We've given our tips. We've given our prognostications for the season. We may be right. We may be crazy. Well, you may be right.